0: If you keep a culture of a city alive, you also keep the children in check, because once they spread, they see individuals do well in an art style that comes from their city. They are instantly interested in learning and pushing this, the culture and pushing the style.
1: Hello, and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, which is brought to you by the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be getting to know Detroit-based dancer Michael Manson. Mike's expertise is in Detroit-jit, a dance genre birthed in his hometown over 50 years ago and he is an internationally recognized master jitter. His talent earned him a national audience when he appeared on So You Think You Can Dance in 2015, and as a performer and teacher, he has worked all over the states and as far away as Paris and La Paz. Once a student of famed dancer-choreographer Rennie Harris, he now tours with Rennie Harris' Pure Movement in performances of Caravan, starring jazz scholar Terence Blanchard. Last year, Mike, in conjunction with a Detroit-based nonprofit Living Arts, was one of five recipients of a prestigious Joyce Foundation grant for artists working in the Great Lakes region. Thanks to the grant support, Mike's been able to commit to his passion, namely teaching young people in Detroit about their city's rich cultural history and ensuring that Detroit JIT is recognized, respected, and studied as a distinctive American dance genre. The Joyce Foundation grant also allowed him to create Rhythm of the Feet, a concert-length dance production that not only centers Detroit JIT, but also, thanks to a cast of professional dancers from around the country, places it in the context of other seminal American footwork styles such as tap, Chicago Footwork, Memphis Jukin, and Lindy Hop. Mike spoke to me from his home in Detroit. I told him that in our show notes, of course, we'd include links to videos of him dancing, but it would be great if we could start our talk with him describing Detroit JIT and its history.
0: Well, Detroit JIT was started in the 1970s. It was started to funk music. It's an old style. Why I appreciate our style of dance and the culture of dance, because usually you can go all over the world, like styles that's related to us in Chicago footwork. You can go to like places like that, and their OGs are like in their 40s. Our OGs are old, much older because our style was much older. It's been around. And once the style developed to grow, once it started growing, uh, it was like an evolution, and once the music changed, and we now what people generally see us dance to is techno. Techno was made here in Detroit. It was birthed here in Detroit, Sabatron, Clear, and all that good music came from Detroit. A lot of people don't know
1: that. What did JIT, did J- I'm just thinking about the name, did it... Come out of the jitterbug, or
0: oh, well, generally they—I uh, would say that. I would say that. I, I would think that the OGs—they didn't understand that, but it did. And it was also a, a group of brothers called the Jitterbugs. Actually, it was three. It was three to four brothers. Uh, they used to do our fashion shows and all that. And this was in the like this was in the early seventies. I mean, not early, like super early, but the like in the seventies. The style you see that I do now is the evolution of that. That was started like in the late 80s, 90s. That's when the style changed and we were dancing to techno. Now, it's interesting. Detroit really hates this, like uh, in Detroit folk. You know, um, we have this music festival every year that's called Movement. You have all these people coming from everywhere, all the DJs coming, and these dancers are doing shuffle. We do not shuffle to techno music.
1: So why would you say Detroit hates it? What do you mean people expect you to because shuffle? Because they
0: birthday they they put this style that's – can the 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 sound already has its own foundation. The its own foundation of culture. And then this shuffle stuff just came out of nowhere. So you see these Detroiters just looking like what? Like and then it's blowing up. You know, and Detroit didn't have its moment. Detroit has still been fighting for its moment. Like, house, the, the house dancers and the house movement had its moment. Chicago Footworkers had its moment, even to, all the way down to the music. Like, if you think about it, like, you remember that song uh, by Missy uh, Music Make You Lose Control? If you look at that video, right? That song, the, wait, first off, the song behind it is from Detroit, right? And if you look at the dancers, the dancers are doing Chicago footwork. The culture of Detroit has been fighting for the respect and to have their moment for forever. Because they yet have had a moment until uh, my generation.
1: So I want to talk about that fighting for the respect of the Detroit culture. But before I do, I want to talk about how you came to be a dancer. What's your origin story? When did you start dancing and when, when did Detroit JIT become your thing?
0: So, uh, I started dancing generally like how everyone, I started dancing when I was very young, like, you know, four or five, I, it was just a hobby at first I had competed. I was very, very known and popular in my area for dance. Like, you know, they, I was celebrated because I was at first, you know, I was a, like a, a trouble kid. And then what dance did for me is it showed me, it taught me how to be disciplined. And I try, of course I tried to do the sports. Like every kid does. But, you know, I had thought about it at a very young age. I said, I like sports, but I love dancing. And if I hurt myself playing sports and I can't dance somewhere, I'm going to be bummed about not dancing. And I thought made that decision at a young age. I had had competed in the NAACP competition. We used to have them back in the day. And I made it to the Nationals. When I made it to the Nationals, I had no idea what a choreographer was. I had no idea of all these different styles of dance. I made it to the Nationals and it just opened my brain up. I graduated, this was my last year of high school. I graduated in the 2006. After that, I had heard that they had referred me to this guy named Rennie Harris and I wanted to really dance for him. I'm like, oh man. So I bugged him. I bugged him every day. Like I found, they gave me his information. I call him every day to the point that he, he a year later, he told me that I can come to Illadelf, which is in Philadelphia. And he said, if you pay for your bus ride, your flight, you can have, you can take classes for free and you can stay in the hotel for free. So uh I did that. He let me stay out there. I, I learned about House. I learned about the foundation of hip hop. So a lot of the dances that I was doing, I didn't know it was a name to him. I didn't even know. I met these people like Buddha Stretch. These giants to me. I'm young. I took that I took that and ran with it. So You Think You Dance had just start airing in like 06, my senior year. So that was one of my biggest goals to like make it on that show. So I had dreams. I had these big dreams that my community couldn't give me. And it, it was no resources to provide. It's not. It's very rare for someone to come from my community to say they want to be professional dancers and not get judged. You understand what I'm saying?
1: When did you realize that part of your mission was definitely about gaining respect for this particular dance genre?
0: Well, I always wanted to gain the respect for this dance genre. That was always my goal. But a lot of people. When you walk into a room, a lot of times you can walk in as yourself in some instances, but it's in some things you have to learn with language, right Body language, you have to learn with you have to be welcoming. So if I walked in a building and threw my style at people aggressive, they wouldn't respected, right? So what I meant by it, I had to learn I had to be a student, so I started learning house. I started sharpening my and my popping. So I go these places to these different places. And then I will mix my style with them. And they'll be like, what? What is that? Uh, I had to learn I, I was a dancer first. I wasn't just a jitter. You see how I told you my students are just jitters. I wasn't just a jitter. Cause I taught them just how to jit. They wanted to learn how to jit. I was more of a dancer. When I came to that realization, that opened up doors for me. And then you start doing your own research and then they they call it Detroit JIT right now, but all it is is street jazz. And all these moves are in jazz. So then you think this is a new style that's been here for forever. I mean, this new style that's been here since the 70s and this movement been here forever. And the lineage of it goes all the way back to Lindy and these different styles of dance that was here before us.
1: Is there a limit to how much how much you can alter the tradition? Do you see what I'm asking? Like, given that you are preserving this genre, how much other influences can you throw into it and keep it what it is?
0: So what I do is I keep the foundation and the format
1: of it. Which is what? Can you explain what those are?
0: The format of it is shuffles. You got shuffles, you got kick wiggles, you got wiggle backs, you got all these different things. But if I was to go... When I go into a college or a studio to train dancers, I have to say this kick wiggle back, yes, it is a kick wiggle back, but look at it very close. It's also the Charleston. So a lot of the times, when even when we think we're not being original or it's not original, it's still original, if you get where I'm coming from. So I don't really break rules. I don't break rules that we didn't break. We already broke the rules when we decided to put this movement in a box. So it's important for us to know where these movements come from, to know where we're going. Just like, you know, I correct my students to this day. They say Michael Jackson moonwalk. I'm like, no, that's not, he didn't create the moonwalk. It was here much longer than him. So when we when I get in these certain rooms, I, I, I teach the format of the kick wiggle backs, the shuffles, the sounds, the different arms, the flagging. I tell the lineage of that. But then I also say, look, here's our lineage and here's our foundation. But if you want to grow and keep growing, you have to know where it started as well. And then I explain to them, like, even with me being a teacher, I'm still a student. I know nothing. So I I walk into a room always wanting to learn.
1: Oh, really? That's very humble.
0: Most definitely. Most definitely.
1: Because I would think you're an expert by now.
0: And I appreciate that, but we are all experts at something in our own right. We just don't know it. But if I walked around being an expert, what that's going to limit me? I'm always hit. I'm a, I'm a hit a ceiling. When I want this dance to be timeless,
1: do you ever see people dancing what they claim to be the Detroit Jit, and you're like, mm. of
0: course. All the time. <laughs> so,
1: do you say anything like what? Of course. <laughs> what what's what's the mechanism you know for ensuring that that something remains authentic? like that form.
0: So you're going to like this answer. <laughs> so if I see a kid, a suburban kid that has no connection to the culture, that's trying to imitate it and that is looking at, and they're doing it in my face because they know who I am. If I'm out at a dance event or if I'm out at or a, a dance event, a club or whatever, if I'm in any one of them areas, you know what I do? Right. I translate and I have an understanding that they want me to see them. So they're doing it in my face because they want me to see them, and they want some type of approval. So what do I do? I see them, and I say to them, do you want to learn? And they say yes. And I start teaching them Hmm. for free, bro. Really? Yes. Yes. I take them in. I watch their energy. I take them in, and then I I have to see them more than once. I have to see that they really want to do it, and I take care of them. And then at the end of it, they become jitters. When I first started teaching, I teach with love, right, to get them in. And then once they're around me, I put an expectation on them, right? So now you know your foundation, you know your fundamentals, you know these di- these different movements. Now I'm on your ass, excuse my friends. <laughs> now I, I have to be the person that you're not going to like all the time because I want you to be better. And then we may fall out and may not talk for a year or two. And then once they get in the place that I'm in, they they come to me and they say, thank you. And that is my blessing. I I would never, ever get upset if one of my students passed me or do better than me pushing this culture. Because my whole purpose of teaching and giving back is for the next generation to be better than me.
1: So when did that, that desire to give back and push the culture. When did that grow in you? When did that grow in you to be as powerful as your love of the dance itself?
0: Well, could I be out? my friends made me teach them. <laughs> <laughs> I had no choice. Okay.
1: <laughs> what do you mean? They'd see they 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 liked what you were doing
0: and just slid in like. Yeah, you' about to teach me. Like I'm like, what? <laughs> people that were not they, they didn't want like, cause I always was. I always had a, a name in high school. So these people were like, yeah, you teaching me? In my neighborhood where I grew up to this day, you could not tell anyone that I. They think I'm probably the best dancer in the world <laughs> because they are That you know, in them neighborhoods, they don't leave the neighborhood. They don't know. They don't know any better. You know what I'm saying? So I took my team. These are the people that what, didn't even really, they had never had no dance background. Uh, I taught them when they were like 21, 22. And now they successful jitters. I can't say that I was like, oh, I want to be a teacher. I never wanted to be a teacher. It just happened.
1: Clearly you came to really enjoy teaching. It sounds like.
0: Uh, no? <laughs> okay, never mind. No, not really. I just accept, I just accept my responsibility, if you understand what I'm saying. Cause when I'm off, when I, when I'm on going to end of work and I'm giving back, I'm in. But when I leave them, I'm gone.
1: What do you love most about your dancing?
0: The beauty I love the beauty in it, the timeless groove. You could look at this dance and see that it was here much longer than me. It's a bounce. It's a feeling. I love the versatility, like the different, the different elements of the dance, like the flagging, which is dancers trying to imitate whacking and they don't even know. They just seen it on shows. Right. And then the bisco, which is the shaking of a, The girl dance in which you put on a persona like you're a woman and you're moving around and you're moving around in a circle and you're being very entertaining. The breakdowns getting to the ground. The drops, the explosive drops.
1: Are are all these elements that were added in more recent years to the dance?
0: These were elements that was added in the more recent years to the dance. And when I say recent, I'm talking about like the 80s. In the 80s, uh, beginning in the 90s, these just added.
1: So, is the dance, it sounds like your mentees may be moving the dance, maybe evolving the dancer ahead of you, possibly. Like, do you have, so you have to keep up with them too?
0: No, they got to keep up with me.
1: (laughs) Do they, they must introduce, because there's also new music, right? So, new music must beget new dance. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So they must bring
1: in new movements that, Maybe. No, they Un- don't. Unf- no. <laughs> you were totally shutting that down.
0: No, they don't. They still doing my moves. Uh-huh. If, if you came to a rehearsal you or a practice, you would absolutely see, like, nah, they not. It's certain people that do different things, like tricks, but as far as footwork and movement and all that, Nah. Even the way I listen to music, what I could dance to, like they still trying to pick my mind because I hear music and what I can... I, I have a talent to hear everything. I don't just hear one thing. Some people ear and their brain is only there to hear the snare. I was blessed with that ability.
1: You've always had that ability?
0: I always had the ability to dance on beat. But I started developing and growing once I started learning patience.
1: Other than the fact that you love it and you're a master of the form, why why is it so important for you to keep the tradition of Detroit JIT alive and thriving?
0: First off, it's not that many cities that has their own culture and their own styles of dance and their own history of dance. Uh, so I take a lot of pride in that. And the goal is to have this dance in universities. My goal is to have this dance actually respected genre of dance. Like how people will bring up in colleges or in in studios or bring up tap, ballet, these different styles. You know what I mean? Jazz. I want Detroit JIT to get that kind of respect because it can translate in every genre of music. There's no limit to this. If you keep a culture of a city alive, you also keep the children in check. Because once they spread, they see individuals do well in the art style that comes from their city, they are instantly interested in learning and pushing this the culture and pushing the style. I give you an example. I was teaching at a studio in Pontiac and all my kids used to always say, Well Mr. Mike, we don't want to dance. We don't want to jig. And now I'm no longer there. And they see all the other kids that I'm teaching and that's traveling with me. And they're like, Mr. Mike, I want to do this. You know, I'm winning uh, the Joyce Awards, all these different things, Spirit of Detroit. They're like, Mr. Mike, I want to do this. So I feel like it is like I'm no longer pushing this for me. And it's no longer about me. I'm pushing it for them.
1: Well, since you brought up children, I want to talk about your partnership with Living Arts and uh, the project Rhythm of the Feet. Can you talk about that?
0: Yes, most definitely. My relationship with Living Arts, one day I seen, uh, I had already had a goal of getting in the nonprofit world and winning these different grants. So I seen someone present, uh, someone on Facebook said something about a meeting Living Arts. I didn't know what Living Arts was at the time. This was like 2018. We went, we got hired instantly, but we started giving back to that. I was already teaching. I've already had jobs teaching at different places, but what Living Arts did, since Living Arts is community-based and it's one of the biggest nonprofits in Detroit, if not the biggest, they were already in school systems. Like, the yes, all that. You know, they used us because we were different because a lot of the time they had different kinds of teachers. They had, um, they had people that was teaching tango and all these, and the kids didn't like that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> honest, the kids just didn't like it, you know? So we went in there and they seen us. It was three of us. They seen us and we was a reflection of them. They they looked at us as like uncles and parents or, you know, they just, we was relatable. So we went there at first I went in there went in there with the mindset of just teaching. I wanted to teach JIT, but then I look, I how I teach is I I scan a room and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna teach hip hop. And I started teaching them hip-hop. From there, you know, we were just working around the city. They were sending us everywhere. They made us kind of a face of the nonprofit. Of course, COVID shuts down. We have a new uh regime. Uh everyone gets fired, people quit. You know, I'm still holding on to them and all that. But then, you know, we open up and I had these ideas. I was trying to, I had already won Kresge, but I was looking for different grants. And I noticed, I'm like, I can't win a big one because I'm not connected to a nonprofit. But I was connected to a nonprofit. I just wasn't thinking of living arts. I was already connected. And, you know, a lot of the times the, the nonprofits has to be the connection to get the grant. So moving forward, uh, I had, Laura had, which is my director. She's the director of the of the uh, of living arts. I had told her I wanted to apply for Joyce, and she was like, "You want to apply for Joyce?" I just I know people in Joyce, and I just moved from Chicago, and I'm like, "Really?" She was like, "Come on, I got you."
1: Joyce that was your her. idea. Yes. Wow. Okay.
0: Joyce is my idea. I knew nothing of it. I just went on the internet, seen it. I didn't even know who won it. People like Terrence Blazier and all that have won it, and uh, Camille and all these different. Now I'm like, whoa! I didn't know that until after I won it. So uh, we end up getting in uh, and getting, getting in contact uh, with the Joyce. It happened so fast. As soon as we applied, they gave it to us. They respond so fast. Laura was like, Mike, it's weird because we apply, and she's like, Yeah, she's like, Mike, they want to get in a meeting with us. Tell me why when we applied, they was like, well, y'all got it. We have to have two more more people to sign off, but y'all got it. So we knew we wanted way ahead of time.
1: I wonder if you can talk about what might be changed in whether, I don't know, funding systems in community and city government and the world of dance, so that both your dance work as well as your cultural preservation work would just be easier for you.
0: One thing that I don't like about the grant world, they make it really hard to get the grants because...
1: Says this they, from the guy who heard back from the Joyce in a minute.
0: In a minute. But I'm not speaking for myself. I have people around me that understand the language. Everyone doesn't understand the language. Sometimes people just have the talent and people have the, the footage and they have the work. And yes, you can hire someone, but if it's about the artist... Why do they have to be, (laughs) damn near, a perfect writer to get the grant if it's about art?
1: So what do you think those foundations could do differently to, in fact, not ask the artists to be amazing grant writers, but actually reward them for their art alone?
0: I think that they should ask the artists to put together a a really good collage. I don't think it should be easy to get the grants. I don't because they're very prestigious and you have to work for them. And, and sometimes, okay, to play two sides, too, for me to play two sides, mm-hmm. every dancer is not an artist and every artist is not a business. So if everyone that was good could just get this grant, it would, hell, it would hold no value because there's a lot of good people out there. So I get it. But what I'm saying is it sh- it should be a little easier. The beauty of this, because I'm gonna say the flip side of it, is that we have these resources. It was probably millions and millions and millions and millions that fought for us to get to where we are right now as artists and be able to apply for grants and get the money. So that's the flip. That's the best side about it, because I don't. I that that's the best part about it. I mean, because I don't have to want to be a famous dancer or this huge you don't entity that everyone wants to know. I don't have to fight for that. I could just create and apply and create my own moments and be with a lifetime, a lifetime, have a lifetime fellowship that I can communicate with all the time. Because like Joyce flew me out last year and I got a chance to meet people, different kinds of people and people that has won, won these grants before and they flying me out this year. So this is a family. Mm. So the relationship is much, much more important than the money.
1: What's what's your next big moment that you're dreaming for yourself?
0: Well, when I say self and when we say self, it's not really about self because all the people that I had in this show, they, they had their moment. And um, when I think of moments, I'm not even thinking about myself, I'm thinking about sharing. So my biggest goal is to take this show on the road and create more memories with everyone.
1: If you'd like to learn more about Mike and read a written version of this interview, just head to uncsa.edu slash artrestart. You're subscribed, right? Yeah, I thought so. I was just checking. And we're always happy to get ratings and or reviews, which helps us reach new listeners. So... If you have the time and the inclination, won't you click on some stars or jot down a few words on your podcast platform? That would be amazing. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Piercarlo Talenti, and on behalf of the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts, thank you for listening.